This is a HeadGum Podcast. Today's show is sponsored by Miracle Made. And oh my God, you guys, you know that I love a luxurious set of sheets. And I now have such a set of sheets because of a Miracle Made. They are bedding that has been inspired by NASA. They've got silver-infused fabrics that actually make temperature regulating a thing. Uh, so you're not, like, getting too hot or too cold or whatever. You know, the whole thing that happens with your body's temperature losing its mind. Miracle Made helps with that. One of the little things that my husband particularly loves about Miracle Made is that it, like, doesn't have as much bacteria as regular sheets because of it's infused with this silver that prevents up to 99.7% of bacterial growth. So it leaves the sheets cleaner for longer. And then the thing for my husband is that it doesn't give him acne, which is like an issue for some people. But more than all of that, it's just luxuriously comfortable and delightful. And it has that cooling feeling while also being cozy. Very hard to achieve those two things at the same time. I mean, miracle made. Come on, well done. So here's what I think you should do. I think you should go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and buy some sheets today. And if you order today, you can save 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation at the checkout and you'll get three free towels and save an extra 20%. So there's just a lot of savings here, folks. Order today. You'll get 40% off. Use the promo code fake the nation. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation. And Miracle's so confident in their product, it's backed with a 30-day money-back guarantee. So if you're not 100% satisfied, which I don't see happening, um, you'll get a full refund. Upgrade your sleep with Miracle Made. Go to trymiracle.com slash fake the nation and use the code fake the nation to claim your free three-piece towel set and save over 40% off. Again, that's trymiracle.com slash fake the nation to treat yourself. Thank you, Miracle Made, for sponsoring this episode. Fake the Nation, episode 249. Hello, hello, this is Fake the Nation, where we talk about news, we talk about politics, and where we breathe a sigh of relief, because do I dare say it, justice was served. I am your host, Nikki Farsad, and I was walking on the streets of Manhattan running errands when I first heard the cheers for 420 at 420, and I was like, oh, that's the thing, marijuana, okay. And then, just like 30 minutes later or something, I heard the cheers on the street uh, for the Chauvin verdict because in New York, you don't need Twitter when you have the streets. Today, we're going to talk about that historic verdict. We'll also talk about some international news. And finally, uh, that one bachelor came out as gay and as the star of a new TV show at the same time. What's it all mean? Today, oh, today's panel. Folks, this is such an exciting panel. Um... For the very first time, we're joined by the host of the podcast, Celebrity Book Club with Stephen and Lily. He's so funny. He's so delightful. And I've actually had the pleasure of working with him before, back when web serieses were a thing. Uh, and I and I loved him then, and I love him now. It's Stephen Phillips Horse. Hey, Stephen. Hello. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Oh, my God. I'm so excited to have you here. And our other panelist is a veteran of Fake the Nation. You know her. You love her. She's written a fantastic book that is that sits on my shelf uh, that I also read. <laughs> it didn't just sit on my shelf. <laughs> 
She's a media trainer. She's a gadfly. She's an occasional uh, talking head on the televisions. Uh, you've read her works all over. You've followed her hilarious, insightful tweets. She's twice vaccinated. Sally Cohn. Hey, <laughs> Sally. Hi, friend. I'm sorry to not be able to hug you. There aren't that I many know. people I really actually would like to see at this point. But I would like uh, to see you in person. <laughs> and I, I suspect, Stephen, you'd be to fun see to see you. in person, too. Yeah. Hey, no need to give me the sympathy position on the list, but I, I appreciate it. <laughs> oh, I, I, you don't know me well enough okay. to know I'm not that nice. <laughs> she really isn't. No. She really isn't. Um, all right. Well, let's uh, let's get into it with topic number one. We finally got the verdict in the Derek Chauvin trial. Uh, today we're recording on Wednesday. Uh, Chauvin was found guilty of second-degree murder, third-degree murder, and second-degree manslaughter, basically guilty on all three counts in the death of George Floyd. This is a rare, rare verdict in police brutality cases, and I am overcome. I just want to hear from you guys, like, just initially, how do you feel, Sally? Yeah, that... Um... You know, the feeling, right? You get the news alert and then you're staring. I don't know about everybody else, but uh, I'm a New Yorker. I was staring at the New York Times page. Reload, reload, reload. Wait, you know, they were showing the sort of blank courtroom uh, for what seemed like an hour waiting for someone to come on. And then, uh, you know, the judge was speaking and that that um, catch in my chest, which, you know, as a white person, I can only imagine the extraordinary magnitude of the greatness of the feeling of that sort of fear at the inevitability of injustice that um, Black Americans carry daily. I had uh, this microcosmic experience of it waiting for the verdict, fearing that, you know, what would happen again was what would al what always happens, right? I mean, just we have to recognize how incredibly rare it is that he even was tried Cops are never convicted. So, and and that that the surprise, the shock, the the um, relief that actually the right thing happened here, really for me just should put in relief how rare it is that that happens. Um, and you know, I think I, I sort of stand with all the people saying like this is a step toward justice. This isn't justice. Justice would be a system, a world in which. George Floyd was still living uh, and uh, Derek Chauvin hadn't done what he did, didn't have the power to do what he did. Um, but boy, was it a real shock to the system in every sense. I don't know that it necessarily indicates in any way, shape or form the system has changed. Uh, Stephen, how do you feel? Yeah, I mean, relief, sure. I think relief is a is was a huge feeling just immediately. For all the reasons you were just saying, Sally, I mean, it is, it's so rare that we see a conviction in a case like that. We see any accountability for police, um, for cops who, you know, basically act with impunity. Um, you know, it's, I find it a little hard to get, I find it a little hard to get excited about what happens to one individual, um, you know, as you say, in a, in a system, um, especially in the context of, you know, the, this. Derek Chauvin represents a police force. He represents a a state that is that is militarized against its own people. That and to have this the state come and say, "Well, this guy is bad." It kind of feels like it's like by saying that in this one case, this one thing that was bad, there's this implication that everything else is basically the state sort of functioning how it should. And so it makes you think, you know, this this 
the situation is so extraordinary, especially with the attention on it, right? I mean, so basically, you know, if you're... Okay, well, if if this this person you kill becomes the most famous murderer of the year, of the most talked about, you know, sparks international protests, there couldn't be more attention on this, then maybe there'll be some accountability. But if not, then, you know, you're, you're probably fine. I mean, that, that feels like, yeah, it, it's quite hard to, to get excited about that. And, and, you know, I, and I also be just this, the circumstance running death, you know, you have, it's like, okay, so, you know, because this death was him, standing with his knee on George Floyd's neck, the particular circumstance of the death, I thought made it easier for the prosecution to make the argument that he was not doing what he was supposed to be doing as a policeman. But, you know, if it had been a shooting, of which there are so many all the time, I think it's a lot easier for them to say, well, I, I shot because I was scared. Or, you know, it's, it's easier uh, for them to let the police go um, in those situations. So it just feels like, you know, all the situation was so specific and there were so many factors, such as the swirling storm of factors that made, you know, got us to the place where we could like maybe finally have some accountability um, in one of these scenarios. And it feels like it'd be so rare that, that all those things would combine like that again. And it doesn't feel like that's well, a model that can be applied for the future. Okay, I'm a little bit more optimistic than that. Um, also because this morning, Attorney General Mayor Garland announced that the Justice Department is going to launch an investigation into possible patterns of discrimination and excessive force in the Minneapolis Police Department. And I found that also heartening because the where there, where you're saying this is about Derek Chauvin, the individual, and what kind of punishment is meted out to him, uh, uh, Merrick Garland is saying, let's also pick up the slack on the systemic problems with that particular police force and see what's going on there. And are they just, and, and to me, like, I don't know if police departments follow the Geneva Convention, but I'm a little bit like, should we just, just a quick reminder of the Geneva Convention for everybody um, would be like a, like a, like there, sh- there should be an over if general federal oversight. And what are these people being taught to do as police officers? What are the like basic values in every police department that are being engendered? You know, all of that stuff. Like, I think this does feel like a step in that direction that'll make something like the Derek Chauvin case, not just like a one off, but like a more uh, give us a more systemic approach to what's happening in police departments writ large. And my first thought was just like, Knowing what we do know now about the ability of the American public to galvanize uh, march- marchers and and actions and 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 petitions and just like the entire like spirit of the nation in a bipartisan way, by the way, the numbers who were uh, just uh, mortified. Uh, by the by the killing of George Floyd were bipartisan, overwhelming numbers. I can't remember what it was. It was like eighty yes. percent of Americans thought it was horrendous. And so I think knowing now that that's where we are, that murder like that is not right. Um, I my first thought was maybe police officers will think twice before using excessive force. And I just did uh, have that little <laughs> moment, I, little moment of hope on t- on top of the Merrick Garland thing. Like, I don't want, I don't want to, like, take this this thing that is a victory 
and just shit on it. You know no, no, I mean? and I think that's what we do. Which, so, like, that's what I we do, do as the I left. I do have a hopeful, yeah. full, hopeful um, look, look in, uh, about it. I think we do that as a left. So you're right. It's it's useful to, you know, you know, we're both so accustomed to losing and so accustomed to this sort of Sisyphusian task of pushing right, justice right. up the hill that there are moments, you know, when when you when you win, even if you want to put those moments in context and so forth, that you do want to actually take a moment. I mean, right, it's just, even to call this a win is complicated, right? Because again, sure, someone is dead. Uh, you know, right, and 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 also to put this in context many, of many many families' lives have been correct. just ruined, and, and also grief is enormous. It's you know, and yeah, also that yeah. that 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 case, right? It's sort of like what we're seeing with the situation with the shooting in Chicago and others, where you know the outrage and the outcry, and including the sort of sense of bipartisan outcry happens after we see a video. And so the problem is, is this notion of like we, you know, there's so much on top of this and to Stephen's yeah, point it yeah. has to have all these conditions etc rather than to be a presumption of uh, a problem and and that's where we get to the core of this i think Nagin, which is look i mean there've been federal consent decrees over police departments before etc a lot of that is premised and i mean this is no slight to Merrick Garland um or anything you know folks who believe this well, i guess i mean it is a somewhat slight um you know, sort of premised on a bad apple theory, right? Like, well, you've got mm-hmm, your Derek Chauvin's mm-hmm. and these other cops and they're bad right. apples and we've got to figure out what is, you know, causing the bad apples, but, you know, some prune the tree and we'll be fine. And then there's another theory, and this is really what we're fighting about right now as a country, which says, look, fundamentally, the tree is poisoned from the roots, Right. You have policing. Let's just like look at two data points. You have a system of policing in this country that is the direct legacy of slave patrols, right? Policing as an institution was started to keep black people, black lives, black bodies in quote unquote in their place. But that is the whole reason we had policing in this country to begin with. Now, fast forward, recent leaked data showed that when Kyle Rittenhouse, the young white guy who went and shot at a bunch of Black Lives Matter protesters, shot, I mean, a vigilante, armed vigilante, the kind of person you would think cops would be against, going and shooting at Black Lives Matter protesters, there were not just one, not just two, but a number of current active police and military who donated to his defense. Now, you... It is hard to draw a line between those two points, not to mention everything that's happened in between, right? And say that there isn't a problem here. There's a problem with policing. There's a problem with the sort of militarization and absolute power of life and death and judgment that we put on policing mapped on top of our societal, uh, you know, corrosive white supremacist ideas of who is good, who is bad, who needs protecting and who needs protecting from, on top of which is the idea, is the very fact that we have police respond to things they shouldn't friggin' be responding to in the first place. Mental health challenges, poverty, unhappy, right? Like we have over relied, we have over relied on a system that at its best, at its best is pretty systemically rotten. So- I don't know that just like scrutinizing one department is going to solve that. 
no, I totally, I, 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 all of your points are like completely right. And I think, again, because I don't want to view it as a Sisyphean task, because in that metaphor, it means we really never win. And that's not the case, right? Like, eventually we do. And that's how I want to live my life, that like, eventually we, 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 uh, uh, we do reach a point where we do have some sort of police system that we're happy with. We do have low, uh, no cases of police brutality, right? Like that that's the world I want to live in where I believe that that change is possible. Um, and so I think the other thing about it is there, you know, there's some, some of the, I mentioned this, I think last week or the week before, a lot of this stuff is just it's a management problem. We're allocating the wrong resources to the ish, the things that come up and we got to fix it. It's like the, none of these things are rocket science. It's just about how we implement uh, changes, you know? And like, if, for example, right now in Ithaca, they actually are making huge changes to the police department and we'll see. The other crazy thing is the police department is run like you know, it's like several thousand little fiefdoms. So um, it, that's the other crazy part of it is like, you know, it's hard to get uh, one standard going um, just because of the way that our country is set up. So um, so there's a but I but again, like this case in Ithaca, it's worth looking at what will happen uh, because that's a way, you know, there's actual will in Ithaca to change something. Um, you know, there was help from the city council to get that passed, and now they're going to implement some kind of a major change in how in in fundamentally how they police that small town. And so that'll be, you know, look, look, that's interesting, and there's going to be cases like that around the country. What I did want to talk about, though, before we leave this subject, is a little bit how the conservative media covered mm. um, the 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 verdict. Uh, so, for example, Newsmax um, and Fox News they offered scant coverage on Sharpton's prayers of prayer before uh, moving on to discussions that featured white pundits and legal scholars um, critical of the proceedings, which I guess is highly uh, unsurprising. Um, Tucker Carlson, everybody's favorite. Remember when Tucker Carlson was just like a guy who wore bow ties and like didn't really matter that much in the cultural conversation? Um, he found his was... way in, didn't he? He oh, found his way in. Those, those were like bionic bow ties that had powers that I didn't know. I didn't know his bow ties had these powers. It's uh, We should have stopped the bow ties be uh... before they became self-aware. Don't get me started. Uh, but but uh, he started. He said that um, the jury was intimidated and pressured by Black Lives Matter protesters uh, that he called riots and, and warned that people, because of verdicts like this, will leave the country, saying it's a, a quote, an attack on civilization. He loves stuff that's like an attack on civil. He loves that kind of phrasing. Uh, an attack on civilization. Um, which I was like, don't you want immigrants to leave the country? Like, will you take, like, will, 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 aren't you, would you be happy if just some people left the country and then we just have, like, even out the numbers for you or whatever anyways? Um, so, but, but, okay. But here's my question for you. A lot of it, like, conservatives, Stephen, are saying that, like, the police won't do their job. Like, they take Carlson's view that the police aren't going to do their job because of instances like this. Um, 
do you what do you think this is having on like the on on police that are legitimately called to help in a criminal situation well i mean i think you know if if a cop is deterred from firing their weapon on someone when they shouldn't or killing someone or using force or anything like that like that is a good thing obviously um you know but i think it 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 comes to the question of what is policing like what happens when a community is policed um and i think that so often the policing just comes with violence and there's kind of like you know i'm i'm interested and intrigued by these situations and maybe you know what you were referencing ithaca if there's a possibility that policing can change a little bit, but you know, I, I it seems like it always comes with violence. Um, you know, I, I will say Black Lives Matter movement um, protests like years ago, not just last year, but I, I remember like feeling like the NYPD in the city that we are based in. If we can reveal that on this pod, um, oh yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, that you know, I, I felt I was like they almost seem a little bit less. Like they're a little bit more afraid of us. They almost seem like they're 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 there there's a there is a temporary feeling like and it may have been completely a projection, right? But that they uh-huh. were a little less aggressive. You know, I've had so many encounters with the police in my time living in New York, all of them negative. Um, you know, every I've been I've been arrested many times, and it's always for uh, you know I I don't think I'm a menace to society. I don't, everything I've ever been arrested for was silly. It was either. You know, jumping the turnstile or... I mean, that Hawaiian t-shirt, though, tells a story. Right, no. <laughs> you know, it tells a story. It says, do you work at Trader Joe's? <laughs> and is that a problem? Um, so it's like, I, I've never had a positive experience. And, you know, and I've been I've been beaten up. I've been mugged. I've been gay bashed. I've been held up at gunpoint. I've had so many violent things happen to me in New York. And the police never stopped any of those things. The police were never there mm. when I, you know, they weren't... The, the, whatever policing is didn't stop those things from happening. And when I went to the police after those things happened, they were not any help to me. So, you know, I, and I'm, and I'm, my story is not unique. There are so many people who have stories like this encounters with the police that are, that are just like, you know, entirely negative. So, so I'd like to think that maybe they get a little bit gun shy. Maybe they get a little bit cowed by this kind of thing. Maybe they like, you know, lean back for a minute for a week. Um, but I feel like overall, they walk around as bullies and they're not going to stop being bullies. I mean, I think also, you know, something that's interesting about this conservative reaction to this is, you know, conservatives, they are, they're upset that we're talking about black lives um, mattering. They're upset that we're, that we're, they're upset that we're talking about black people being killed by police. They never get upset about all the white people who are killed by police, which I think is very telling because they don't actually care about people getting killed by police because they they think that the role of police is good and they like the bullying that they do. I'm, I'm really sorry to hear about all of your experiences with the police. It sounds horrible. Um, but Sally, final thoughts on this. First of all, there's like a, there's a problem in our kind of cultural imagination about policing, right? Which is we have these sort of two narratives in our, from our film and our TV and right of like, on the one hand, you've got the like small town, you know, goofy, nicely neighbor right. cop. We have a mayor of East Town, Right, like on HBO, where she's like handling everything, and right. she is, her ethics are uh, can't be questioned. And then we have like the Law and Order Police procedurals, where every single day the cops' lives are at jeopardy, and they're breaking down right. the doors. And the, right. right. And the reality is, what's interesting is, is that the sort of very um, 
let's call it like what it is, this very black and white, right? Notion of policing, <laughs> yeah. right? Also maps onto our uh, implicit and explicit understanding of what policing does, right? And, and the sense that, well, for someone like me, a white woman to be safe, and let's be clear, so much of, again, going back to, uh, you know, times of indentured slavery, so much of our policing of black bodies is about, quote unquote, protecting white women, so, right. and white property. So, you know, our notion that for that to be, for that to exist, for my safety and the safety of my property and whatever to exist, there has to be the other, right? And that's just not true, right? I mean, what actually keeps us safe is good government, is community, is, is education, is, right? I mean, we know all these things. And the reality is, so here's an interesting point that I always think about in these conversations, is that about 80% of Americans, 80% of Americans, according to surveys, believe that the average cop fires their gun at least once in the course of their career. The reality is that 98% of cops don't ever fire their gun, right? So right. It's not only, it's like, it, there's this, and again, part of the mythology that in part the right creates because they believe in guns keeping us safe right, and so right, forth right. is that, well, but these cops are using their guns so many times when they have to and need to it. And that just, it's not true, right? Yeah, and, and, and I so also we wanna go to back to like, I've talked about this a million times, but like in the UK, they don't police with guns. You know what I mean? And and, and uh, look, there's tons of problems in the UK, whatever that are different. But 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 I think the idea that you can have successful policing without guns—that's out there. Or like, Duante, right? Like yeah. you pull your we gun out instead them. of your taser. Like, good lord, you have a taser. What do you need the gun for, right? You and don't need the gun. And then again, yeah. but again, that maps onto how many times we have all seen cops right. de-escalate situations without violence when the alleged perpetrator is a white person. I mean, it's just, right. it's, so it gets to, and it's, and it's on some level, it is the problem of police on some level, it's not, right? You just happen to have the, they are the knife's edge of broader patterns and histories and, and, and problems yeah. in our society, but they just happen to be the deadly knife's edge. Right. Well, we can talk about this forever. Um, folks, tell me uh, what you think and um, <laughs> let, uh, let me know what you think. Uh, I'm curious to hear your thoughts, but you know what we're going to do? We're going to take a quick break and we are going to learn about our sponsors. I'm so excited about our sponsors today because they keep the lights on here at Fake the Nation. So we really love them. Uh, and then when we come back, we'll talk about other things. Today's show is sponsored by Rocket Money. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions. It monitors your spending. It helps lower your bills so that you can grow your savings. I have used Rocket Money. And you guys, honestly, I had no idea how many things I was subscribing to that I didn't want to be subscribing to. I think we all go into, we enter into subscriptions with a Pollyanna view that we're going to use as a subscription, even though it's a super obscure, you know, education app from Albania that uh, teaches Russian math or whatever. And then you're like, I'm never going to use this. Why did I get it? I should remember to cancel it. And then you don't. 
And I know you guys are like me and I know you've done this to yourselves. And guess what? 75% of people have subscriptions that they've forgotten about. So we're all in this bucket. And I think paying for that stuff is so angering and Rocket Money is there to help because basically Rocket Money shows you, hey, look at this is what all the things you are subscribed to. But then here's the bigger thing. To unsubscribe, you don't have to go through the whole rigmarole. Rocket Money unsubscribes for you with a click of a button. It's so easy. The other thing Rocket Money did for me, which I was incredibly grateful for, was reduce the cost of one of my bills. It was my cable bill. Yes, I still have cable. Rocket Money has over 5 million users that have saved a total of $500 million in canceled subscriptions, saving members up to $740 a year when using all of the app's features. I mean, that tracks for me and for the number of things I was paying for that I'm frankly ashamed of. So thank you, Rocket Money, for like fixing the shame glaze on my life. Uh, so stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Again, that's rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation. Rocketmoney.com slash fake the nation, you guys. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. back and we're ready for topic number two the bachelor has long been the bastion of heterosexual reality tv show lust and all of that was shaken when former bachelor colton underwood came out of the closet on good morning america but also a few hours after he came out literally just a few hours there was another announcement that underwood would star in a new tv show on netflix about coming out alongside a sort of gay guide olympian gus kentworthy um i guess it's sort of like a queer eye for the queer guy uh it was huge news the trended for like three Three days. My first question is, why was this such big news? I, um, I'm really hoping this is Stevens because, uh, like, I just here is are we making true confessions here after the yes, yes. first of all, by the way, smooth segue, super smooth. Okay. And second <laughs> of all, um, are you ready for this? Are you? I feel like yeah. again, this could ruin our friendship. Um, oh, I've never watched The Bachelor. Wow. Not ever once. My jaw just Steven, hit the have you, floor. Have you watched? Oh, honey. <laughs> <laughs> I don't, what was that I mean, I the premise i think i've only like you know just passingly seen something it's not like i'm you know i can't even recount how episodes are structured or anything like so you're you may be our resident expert steven I, uh why was this such big you news? know i'm fine with taking that mantle of bachelor expert okay. um and i will say it's the kind of show where you know, it's it, the show is better than the premise, right? The premise is pretty simple. We get it. Like, one person is dating a bunch of people and they fall in love with one. But the actual machinations of the show and the way that they edit together these absolutely absurd, you know, rivalries and bitter dramas and fights and romances and tears. And, it, you know, it's it's just, it's very well done. And there's there's just so much of it. And obviously, you know, the, it's sort of a self-selecting thing in reality shows at this point. But the cast, member te the cast members tend to be quite stupid. And so that creates, <laughs> um, that creates a lot of joy for the viewers, I would say. Um, 
so the, the Bachelor, as you say, it is a is a bastion of heterosexuality. Um, it is, but in many ways, it's obviously you know it's an absurd uh, uh, kind of send up of heterosexuality, right? Because it, the 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 concept is for the, the Bachelor. So this is when there's one guy and there's twenty five women, and this is and it's twenty five. Yeah, and. It, That's a lot. No, it's well, how, and how many weeks do they have to choose between twenty five? I want to say it's about ten weeks or so, and so gotcha. the first so they're cutting a lot of of ladies. There's quite week. a lot of culling the first few weeks. They, then okay. then they would then they would stop when there's still six people left in the competition. You know what I mean? You wouldn't get a winner; you'd get six winners. <laughs> but so the idea that this is like you know so shocking is this is like a perversion of this like. Um, you know, this this temple to heterosexuality is a little bit ridiculous because the show is completely ridiculous. And the show assumes that over the course of 10 weeks, by simultaneously dating 25 people, you will find the love of your life. Um, I mean, to some extent, I think there's some sort of interesting potential um, science there because you know, in, in the idea that, well, out of 25 people, potentially one of them you could fall in love with. I think that like it strikes me as very lesbian. Like we can fall in love, right? Like, please, exactly. We can, we can do it in three weeks. I'm yeah. just saying. You know, if you want a more efficient show, the Bachelor franchise should go le- lesbian. That makes it's a lot just of a, sense. it's just a two week show, and the- <laughs> <laughs> sponsored by U-Haul. That by week two, they're just assembling IKEA furniture. They're assembling IKEA furniture. <laughs> Half of all the contestants are already dating each other, or they're already each other's exes, but they're still friends. It's very. <laughs> you know, it ends with like a know. spirited friendsgiving. This is yeah. going to end up a thing. But anywho, go ahead. I mean, we just, by the way, TM, uh, the three of us, uh, let us get the well, money. Well, you know, there was a gay bachelor <laughs> many years ago uh, on Logo, and it was called, like, He's the Guy or something. <laughs> That's a very unimaginative name. <laughs> and I felt like the kind of unspoken issue was that it was a bunch of bottoms competing for a top. But, like, they didn't really ever <laughs> kind of, like, surface that tension. Right, and yeah. But it was, like, like clearly, like, I th- think that's, like, basically what's happening here. Because it was a lot of the same dynamics where it was, you know, all the bottoms were, like, waiting to get their rows. And then there's this, like, you know, this hunky top that they're all competing for. And you, of better course, de-thorn, so you-, you better dethorn that rose. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're all fired. We're all fired. Um, That could be messy. Thank, first of all, thank you so much for this, like, just primer on uh, just the, the Bachelor as a phenomenon, like, seeping into the logo channel's a- attempt to even do it. Uh, but what did you watch the Colton Underwood yes. season? And who, uh, who, what do you think of that dude? Yeah, so a lot of the Bachelors seem kind of gay, I will say. <laughs> because the, <laughs> the vibe of the show is gay. Like, you've got a guy, they're always in really tight jeans. You know, they're wearing a ton of makeup. Like, they're on TV. They're doing this very, very performative thing where they, like, the women get in evening gowns, and then they all meet up at a hotel lobby, and they, like, have cocktails. And there's just, there's something very gay about that. And, like... And, and, and he, and, and also the whole, you know, allegedly they like don't have sex for two months. So that's also very gay, you know, like you're like, oh no, I don't want to fuck these women for two straight months. It's just like, huh. Okay. Are Um, the women allowed to sleep with each other? I imagine. I mean, they, they tend to be the straightest women you've ever met in your life. Has that been a thing? (laughs) 
I don't think they've even ever put, like, a bi contestant on, which you would think they would do just, like, for ratings, but, yeah, I, for some reason, for some reason... That hmm. has not happened in the Women of the Bachelor. Sorry, I'm just going <laughs> to call understand. The, the booking uh, representative for The Bachelor. Just, just put you on hold. <laughs> Wait, okay. But, like, he, so we're, when he came out, okay, so, so about Colton. He has kind of this, like, Joey kind of simple. He had this very, very innocent vibe to him where he was, like, like really nervous. And he, like, he really liked the just, like, I mean, they're all, like, you know, pretty vapid. But, like, he just, he really liked this very kind of, like, Barbie doll-looking girl that was very, like, the kind of girl that, like, I think that I would have said I liked when I was 10. Like, that kind of, like, stage right. of sexual maturity. Right, because because she fit the description. Of, like, right. woman that, like, you know, you were yeah, told yeah. as child. And they had this very chaste relationship, as they do in The Bachelor. They say lots of completely inane things. They go on these... It's like very expensive dates where they ride helicopters and like get massages and like go to Thailand and they say things just How like straight up like boning is there in the bachelor well, allegedly you do not bone until you get to the fantasy suites which is like this the, okay. the second to last week and the host it's so twisted it. the host Wait, is of the bachelor it's like scheduled it's There's scheduled, scheduled sex <laughs> when it gets down to three people now this show does seem lesbian yeah <laughs> <laughs> okay, but the creepy part is once you get on, you have these dates, and then the host of the show grants you this very like ornate medieval key that unlocks your fantasy suite, and you can decide whether to go ahead and use the fantasy suite at the end of the date. And Colton, did he sleep with the lady? Like, I mean, I just, I don't mean to be gr- gross here, but like... Well, as you can imagine, this is on ABC. So when they go to the fantasy suite, the camera kind of pans away. You see the curtains or whatever, but right, right, you're right. not necessarily seeing penetration on network television. So it's hard <laughs> to say. And then they'll do this thing where they shoot the next morning and like they're always both in bed in like cashmere sweatpants and like she's on his chest just being like, that was the most amazing night of my life. So, yeah, you kind of assume they fucked, but it's, you don't know. Oh, this is ridiculous. But, Wait, he picked, I thought so he what ended up your... with someone. He like, did, but then, like well, a whole controversy. Well, did they get married okay. or whatever, however they Here, do the marriage? Here's the thing about The Bachelor. Everyone breaks up. Every single couple breaks up within, like, five months of the show ending. Like, without no question. Like, I think it's, like, the, I think the percentage rate is just, like, 98.5% of Bachelor couples break up within the first five months. And it's just, like, and it's, like, 100% of the Bachelorettes, like, break up. And then maybe, and then it's, like, 95% of the Bachelors, like, break up. Because, um, you know, they do, they switch Amazing. genders every season. Right. Um, and typically the bachelor is just more fun because women are more fun. And so they're just much more fun characters to watch. Cause all the guys, the bachelorette season is like 25 guys and they're all just like sitting in salmon shorts being just like, Whoa, dude, I think I like her. <laughs> and you're like, okay. Yeah. Could you, could you put any more additional analysis on that feeling? No. Okay. Um, so what, so Steven, what can you tell me? Your reaction to the coming out? Well, I mean, you know, as I said, it's it's a very performative show. It's it's this sort of like obscene, like you know, grotesque um, 
send up of what, you know, heterosexual union can be, which is, of course, already a a grotesque and obscene thing, no offense to any of those of you who may be in a heterosexual union at this current point in time. But he's talking about yeah. me. <laughs> but like, you know, so I, I, I was I think like, he knows he's not talking about me. The <laughs> family. Um, no, but I, I was, uh, I guess, you know, listen, is, is there a certain delight that we all get when we find out there's another one on the team? Sure. You know, there's a, the <laughs> You just took you took out your ledger and added yes. one, and you got really excited. Went, and of course, you know, statistically, there's been twenty something seasons of The Bachelor. One of them has to be gay. Statistically, that is just simply a fact. So that makes sense. Okay. So you were were you like? I mean, there were because there was backlash about this because it was connect because then a few hours later it came out that he was going to be um, in the lead in this Netflix show, ne- well, new Netflix reality show. Um, and and so it just there the backlash was essentially that he's kind of like com- commodifying his new LGBTQ status. I mean, aren't we uh, all? Did, did you... <laughs> I mean, yeah, everyone. Is. I mean, the whole. I mean, the idea that someone who competed on a reality show is now commodifying their identity and that is somehow different than what they were doing before, I think, is a little ridiculous. Every right. single person who right, goes right, on a reality right. show. That's exactly it because he's commodifying his his his, his love, supposed his supposed love, right. and now he's right. You're not going there to find love. You're going yeah. there to be on TV and then break up with the person that picks you at the end. Of I it. mean, well, the other the, wait, you guys. I did some googling, and there have been like two lesbian couples resulting from the no breaking no breaking news like former contestants who are now dating. Well, listen, I can't, I don't do the bachelor speak, but Demi and Christian uh, hooked up on Bachelor in Paradise, apparently. Demi, wait, Demi having been in the Colton Underwood episodes. Oh, okay. Well, Bachelor in Paradise Demi, is, yeah. is sort of this like buy for but shock value show, one. but. Yeah, but there was another one too. Uh, anyway, yeah, there've been like two. Are they still together? This is, this is well, At least one of them have broken up. Shocker. But yeah, it's, I would think, I'm just going to say, I would think if I were hanging around with 24 other women, uh, you know, in evening gowns, uh, well, the evening gown part would be weird. But other than that, I'm just saying, (laughs) I'd find love. It feels inevitable. It feels inevitable. Um, The, just the the reaction to like, you know, the people being shocked that he's commodifying his sexuality i agree is is a little bit ridiculous and that he was already commodifying his sexuality why would he be a different per like why would it be like fundamentally different and not commodify you know his actual sexuality right like it it doesn't that to me doesn't make sense the other thing is like sometimes when people speak publicly about being gay or muslim or feminist or you know ethnic of some kind or whatever whatever other quality you know category you want um we sort of then expect that person to be angelic you know what i mean Mm. and that that they are somehow like have a higher standard about absolutely everything under the sun um and it it's like it's okay for this guy to have come out and then to still and to be a dirty dirty capitalist you know what i mean like that's like he's just like to me i'm like he he's not an angel because like he's he came out of the closet we shouldn't expect him to then suddenly um have some otherworldly ethical qualities like it's he's just he's gay like he's not 
magic. You know what I mean? I don't know. Gay people like, are statistically more thing. likely to be angelic and magic. However, your point is taken. <laughs> yeah, and no. I do say I would love him to have a different coach uh, in his gayness that might, you know, work on the sort of ethical justice, public gay qualities of you know history and but but you know um i don't know this co are you familiar with yeah. the gus cantworthy school of gu- you, gay guys? so there is a gay citizenship test and most of us take it in our early 20s we study for years <laughs> there are many many ancient scrolls that we pour over uh, over many long <sighs> nights um and then we are given a certificate <laughs> Um, and it's, and it's a proud moment. And I, you know, I still have my photo of my, my, well, it's not, you can't see it here, but um, it's fine there, Kurt. Yeah. Um, so are you, so closing thoughts, Stephen, do you, I mean, it, I guess in that, in the, the Bachelor is such a huge series and it has such a life, not only on network television where it reaches millions, but then on social media where it reaches millions and millions and millions more. Is there something in here that's maybe like good? <laughs> you know what I good. mean? That like, what is good? Like uh, define just, good. <laughs> just that like that was one of those gay hey, citizenship tests. Yeah, well, <laughs> <laughs> just that like you maybe liked this character, um, and hey, he's gay, and you can still like him. I don't know. Like, is there something from for I would for I would say mainstream America that that loves The Bachelor that might I don't know where this might be. No, going. well, I, no. I, I, I just I just think that the, I don't think The Bachelor really sets trends in terms of like so, you know so, social cultural acceptance. cultural acceptance and politics. I think they tend to lag trends. I think that they're a very like sort of old war horse and so it's just like if the bachelor is having a gay contestant that means that like people are really okay with gay people at this point like that it's just like not that big of a deal it's like you know i I think like it is it's been pretty normalized um at this point that it's that some former bachelor contestor from a few seasons ago is gay it's just like eh, it's not that big of a deal like i think that just all that really i mean i guess that's nice that it's so normal that we're just so fucking normal but <laughs> yeah. Steven is Steven, so you're so normal. Yeah. You're I mean, look, so normal. There's a there's a lovely you know there's it is a lovely moment right at any time any time a little more visibility a little more inclusion uh, you know a little more space is opened up for others right uh, a kid somewhere who didn't know anyone who's gay either they're gay themselves or they're they you know were feeling homophobic and now they have one person who they kind of had some fondness for right and i mean i think that's all positive i don't think we can ever overstate you know we don't want to understate the sort of power of cultural transformation of these moments right and at the same time you don't want to mistake a moment for systemic transformation you know policy change is that right i mean they they relate to each other right? Uh, But one isn't a stand-in for the other. Uh, But I say, hey, gay people creating tacky shows is just as great. I want want gay people to create garbage content too. And it sounds like the show's (laughs) going to be garbage content. Uh, And I won't watch it, but Stephen, if you could watch it and then tell me all about it. I, I will report back. 
I will do the hard work. <laughs> All right, folks. Uh, what do you think of uh, the uh, the the Bachelor and this news? And uh, I don't know. Let me know what you think. Do you watch it? I feel like we, I've, Sally. I feel like me and you learned a lot in this segment. Oh. So that you can invite uh, me over to like binge the Bachelor. And you I know, was like, yeah, <laughs> Stephen, you were our, our you were our Bachelor guide for this uh, segment. So I appreciate that. Um, and before we move on to topic number three, I just want to say, Patreon listeners, your bonus segment for this week is up. It is hilarious. It is with Bassem Youssef and Banari Poulton, and we talk about bagels, and it gets real heated. Uh, so um, you should have that episode in your Patreon inboxes, and if you want to join Patreon to get these um, fun bonus episodes, you can go to uh, patreon.com slash Farsad. Now let us move on to topic number three. Okay, so um, one of our wonderful Irish-American listeners, Mairead, reached out to ask if we would talk about the riots in Northern Ireland, and I jumped on it because this is big news, but I'm also confused by it. Uh, so let's talk about it. But listeners, please remember that whenever we talk about issues that are international in scope, I schwitz because I don't necessarily know what I'm talking about. Um, but here, this is from what I understand, just a quick primer on what may have been the case. Back in the 80s and 90s, when things were really bad in Northern Ireland, uh, the main issue was that a largely Catholic side that wanted to... The, what the main issue was that there was a largely Catholic side that wanted to the territory to be a part of Ireland and there was a mostly Protestant side that wanted the territory to remain part of Britain um, and what ended the Irish troubles as they're called was a peace agreement um, in 1998 uh, but all of those scabs are being picked right now gross I don't know why I said that scabs mm. being picked uh, because of Brexit and the pandemic um, because there was that whole thing with like a hard border you guys remember mm-hmm. this talk that lasted for years about this hard border shit well that is still a thing um there's a border between northern ireland and ireland um and it makes it tough because ireland's still a part of the european union but uh, northern ireland as a part of the uk is is now um is has brexited uh so <laughs> what just what do you think guys <laughs> so there's been <laughs> i feel your anxiety so there's, been, there's i know i, I know i'm I feel, so sorry I, i'm not gonna lie but i really feel like look uh steven i don't know much about you but Nagin, i feel like as the the jew in the air and and you being the muslim like we should we should be comfortable talking about sectarian divisions i know uh, we in should geography be comfortable and talking about sectarian like, divisions. this ain't nothing new this is the irish version <laughs> otherwise that's it's the exactly problem. the fucking the, same the, the, exactly so sectarian so the sectarian divisions are also being you know flamed and the reason that there has been riots and you've probably seen in your news that there have been riots in belfast there was about yeah. 10 days ago that they started they last for about a week i don't know what's going on today and they started because the pandemic is making it so that some supplies aren't getting in mm-hmm. to Northern Ireland. Correct. And <clears throat> sorry, Brexit. Brexit, Brexit is making it the, so yeah. that the, sorry, Brexit is making it so that some supplies aren't getting in. And then there's another weird thing with the pandemic, which is that um, Sinn Fein, the um, unionist group in um, Northern Ireland. This mm-hmm. is where I start. You're doing great. Because I'm making my saying going. all the right words. Thank you. Thank you so much. Sinn Féin 
like had a, a, a crowd of people gathered um, right. because in remembrance of someone and they were not prosecuted because they basically violated pandemic protocol uh, with that gathering. So yeah, it's more there, the, so there it's was a more lot the of like, Brexit things stuff, that, right? It's yeah. more the Brexit stuff. And this was the like, you know, when like Britain after they voted kept like failing, failing, failing to come up with an actual Brexit plan this was the primary sticking point. And, and, you know, what you basically have to understand is that the, you know, the period of the troubles was brutal. And it was because of, you know, uh, you know, it's complicated, right? Because it has something to do with sectarianism, right? Because it ends up mapping out religiously, but ultimately right. it's a somewhat nationalist kind of, um, it almost more easily maps onto kind of notions of colonialism and imperialism, right? Where you have a certain group of people in a territory who want to belong to one country and you have, and be a part of one country, right? Uh, the Catholics want to want Northern Ireland to be part of Ireland. And you have the Protestants who want Northern Ireland to be part of England. And what happened in the, uh, in the uh, agreements and the Good Friday Agree Accords was a basically a kind of power sharing agreement that said like, look, we're going to, you know, do, kind of give a little bit to everyone and try to make everyone happy. And part of that is going to be things like more easy flow across the borders of people and goods, allowing people to have dual citizenship, right? So it was a a really right. powerful, so the border became hybrid. The border became more of like a fun suggestion rather than <laughs> something. <laughs> you know well, I mean? and it was in keeping with, and in a lot of ways actually kind of you know, it, it was part of the trend of what was happening with the EU more broadly, right? And then you have Brexit, which just is a wholly dumb fuck of an idea, right? It's Across so the bad. board, so bad, so not bad, right? And Still like, not into was it. you know, and it is is so there's some, something so Trumpian in it, right? Because and if you go back, if people haven't seen Carol Caldwaller's um, TED talk and read her reporting about how Brexit was sold to the people who are going to be hurt in England by Brexit, their jobs right. are on the line, right? It was a dumb fuck of a policy that then they botched the implementation of because really everybody was like, oh shit, it passed. We don't actually know how to do this because you have an integrated economy. And with the with Europe and in this relationship Northern between Ireland Ireland thing right and and it and it's and it's fucked right and they did not they tried to come up with a good deal they tried they tried they tried they failed they failed they failed and then yeah there's some other you know things that sort of shit hit the fan kind of moments um, including the the um, uh, large gathering but uh, it it really goes to show that sort of policy actually matters, right? It matters to people's lives that, and you really think like you look at the kind of leaders who for all their imperfections uh, hammered out that Good Friday Accord and now the like bungling idiots, right? Like Boris Johnson, who are just like, oh, let's just leave and oh, we'll you know, and, and it actually like leadership matters, good government matters, thoughtful government matters. You know, sucks. the other thing that I think is like also happening in terms of like, leadership matters is if if Boris Johnson is a Trumpian version in the in the UK um of a leader uh if it, and Stephen I don't know if you feel this that like globally we're we're this kind of sectarian um these kinds of sectarian tensions might rise just because 
they're like in the air, you know, through the leadership, through the leadership of Brexit. So it's sort of like there's no one at the top being like, um, like, let's handle this you know, in a, in a way that makes management sense, that makes policy sense. You know what I mean? There isn't a bunch of rational people at the top. There's just like, yeah, we're doing a Brexit. We don't know how. Everybody is pissed. Like, and so then it's, you're more likely to just have a bunch of people pissed, um, you know, when, when, when they can't get, when there are shortages in Northern Ireland because of a now ridiculous border. Um, Stephen, what do you think? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. People being pissed begets people being pissed. I mean, that's an old saying. I I think that's in the Talmudic (laughs) verses or something like that. Um, You know, you 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 pressurize situation. You you rattle a couple sabers over here. The sabers over there are going to rattle too. But I think you know what's interesting about the Brexit situation is obviously when it was sold, like it was this very long process, right? So when it was sold and there was that vote and they had to you know leave Remain, you know there was. It was sold as like, you know, in the very Trumpian way, it was anti-immigration. It was like, these Eastern Europeans are going to come take your jobs. These Mediterraneans are going to take right. your jobs. There was a lot of racism. There was a lot of nativism. There was a lot of nationalism, all this stuff. Then it like took them so long to do this whole thing. And the conservatives won their like last election by saying, get Brexit done. That was their thing. That was our slogan. They were just mm-hmm. like, this process has gone on for so long. You're all just exhausted hearing about it. And it and it no longer was even like, you know, hewing to the to the same political slash moral conservative arguments per se. It was just like at this point, like you're just fucking exhausted hearing about policy. You don't care about this shit. Government is boring. Like government just like has its <laughs> thumb up its own ass and we all have our thumb up our like you know our yeah. our bewigged asses and and all these barristers with their little curls. <laughs> so just wrap it up already. Get Brexit done. And the simplicity of that, the you know the the shortness of it was just like that was appealing. They were like, oh great, fuck this, you know. And so I, I think like now we're seeing oh there's this like there's all this bad there's consequences. There's consequences to that, but like. The whole reason we did this is because we didn't even want consequences or non We just didn't want anything. We just, like, we're fucking sick of hearing about mm-hmm. shit. Um, and so it's kind of like, you know, you think about, well, how, how does it play to America? How does it play, you know, elsewhere around the world? And it's just, like, people are actually, like, sick and tired. People are fucking sick and tired of bullshit. And it's kind of hard <laughs> to say, let's have a long, drawn-out policy discussion. Because the longer that discussion draws out, the less people want to have it. And the less they want to, like deal with what the constant score they don't want any they don't want anything they just like and so then you just get status quo so i feel like um it's not a great situation um but you know i think we're gonna have to we're gonna have to figure out a way to have this tough conversations um because we're kind of here because (laughs) of a lot because i feel like people just don't even want to have this have these talks anymore Oh, complete. I mean, I didn't even want it I mean, to I be do. in the news anymore. And I wasn't, I could easily just not read it. But I was just like, oh, can they figure out this Brexit thing? It's so annoying. And like, you know, but in terms of consequences, I mean, we're closer than we've ever been to Scottish independence because of Brexit. We're closer than, you know, right now with these riots, it looks like we that whole notion of, uni- of Irish unification is just coming right back up to the fore. Um, 
Um, and so Bre- this one dumb act of Brexit uh, could just lead to a total changing of the international map, you know, um, because they didn't think it through. Uh, and it was sold with, you know, like you said, Sally, to the people who it would affect. It was sold, you know, too simplistically and without an explanation of what it would really mean. Can I just start a theory? About- make, this, make, this a gr- make this a great theory because it's closing out I the I think center. it's actually no potentially pressure. pretty badass no theory about sovereignty and self-determination is that oh, you, yeah okay. see those words okay so you know you're talking about <laughs> scotland northern ireland you know we have palestine we have um Bar- barcelona and like catalan you know there's all these places around the world there's potential you know there's the there's discussion of will these break away will they become an independent nation country you know and should you know and their whole question of like whether or not a place should have the right to like say whether it should be a country or separate from somewhere else and then there's a whole eu question should the eu be all basically one country or should it be you know together and then we're breaking apart we don't want this sort of super, super national organizations but i do wonder if all of of the sort of agitation for independence and for smaller states is almost a dying gasp in an, in an age when we are heading to a sort of global corporate hegemony in which corporations act unilaterally, corporations act worldwide, and they, you know, they do whatever they want in whatever country they feel like it, and their law is actually the sort of supreme law of the land. And we are, and we are more subject to the whims of Amazon and Facebook than we are to the whims of a government, and that governments themselves are becoming smaller and smaller um, in terms of the power that they wield over our lives. You know what? I feel like you're just Steven setting us up for another segment, uh, which is that I and I, I actually feel like you're not off base and that there's so much more legislation now targeting tech giants, maybe for that very reason. You know what I mean? Because c- countries are like, wait a second, we're the country things, the, the things that have the right. laws. We're supposed to- yeah, and except you guys for no, supposed- right? Like you, you, the paradox inherent in what Stephen's talking about is if we like divide this then in ideological terms, you know, the the people who would say, hey, look, we should have more, um, let's say not no borders, but more porid, fluid, fluid mm-hmm. realistic borders vis-a-vis people uh, right. and ideas and so forth um, are generally the sort of center left folks, right? Who are also the ones saying like, hey, we have to rein in you know, the unlimited unchecked power of global corporations, which are sort of obviating sovereignty and rights and so on and so forth. And you actually have the people on the other side who are like, no, we need sovereignty when it comes to people. And who are like, yeah, sure. When it comes to, you know, globalization, corporate dominance, corporate takeover, you know, violating uh, any kind of remotely sane notion of antitrust, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So there's a weird way in which it's mapping out. And then it becomes a question of what do you really actually think? Like who's, and it, again, in a a way it goes back to the conversation we were sort of having about policing, right? It actually is about whose sovereignty, whose liberty, whose freedom do you really truly care about, right? It's not as simple as, oh, I care about it or I don't, right? Right, it's actually whose, whose are you kind of putting the thumb on the scale of, right? And it's like, oh, well, you know, the Jeff Bezos of the world, oh yeah, I really am concerned about their freedom, Um, but you know, (laughs) not so much the Amazon workers or not so much the sweatshop workers or not, right? So that's, um, I'm done. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Uh, Folks, this, 
This was this was this was um this was a remarkable treatise on uh on many things the board the Northern Ireland riots the troubles corporations versus sovereign nations uh listen listeners um let me know did any of what we said make sense that's just number one um should are we all fired are we all fired from podcasting is my other question um. We are done with today's show. I am so excited that you guys join. And what I would really love is for the people of Fake the Nation to be able to follow you and all the wonderful stuff that you do. Sally, where do they do that? Um, I am on the interwebs um, on the things that are not TikTok um, because I don't need another thing. But the other things, uh, I am at at, uh, Sally Cohn, K-O-H-N, and also at sallycohn.com. I, I know I can do this. This is that is where you can find me on. The- <laughs> <laughs> and please follow her. She's so smart, as you can tell from this podcast. She's so fun and funny, and you should absolutely be following all of her yeah. wonderful works. Stephen, where do they find you? So you're gonna go to twitter.com, sweetheart. Then there's a slash. <laughs> then you type in gossip babies. Okay, once again, that's gossip babies. Babies, gossip got babies. babies, plural. Um, and then if you want hot photos of me, you're going to go to Instagram and it's going to be Buddha underscore PH. That one's a little trickier. That's more advanced, but I do believe that you can do it because um, you're a podcast listener. I'm talking to the listener now. Oh, I'm doing it right now. Okay. I was following the directions. <laughs> See? <laughs> <laughs> this is, this, wait, we got like a li- live action example of someone being able to do it. Okay. Um, and folks, I really, uh, you know where to find me and all of the things that we shouldn't be listening, watching, or logging into ever. Um, and also, I'm going to be on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me this week, so be sure to log into that. And, um, and don't forget uh, more new episode of Bird Girl on Sunday on uh, the Cartoon Network uh, through Adult Swim. And um, a big thank you to the people who make this show possible. That's our producer, Julia Linden, our sound engineer, Stephanie Aguilar, and all the wonderful people at HeadGum. The theme music is written by Gabby Alter. And as always, please rate and review the show on Apple Podcasts because it helps people find the show. And also email us at fakethenation at headgum.com so that you can send us guest ideas, uh, segment ideas, anything you want, ideas. Um, also join the Patreon. That's uh, patreon.com slash Farsad. And that's it, folks. We'll be back in your earballs next week. That was a HeadGum Podcast. <laughs>